Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church. Thanks uh, for coming. And those of you that are online, thanks for joining us online as well. Uh, thanks, Pastor Todd, for the announcements. And I hope that uh, if you have any questions, you can come see us about that. And we'd be happy to talk with you further about some of those as well. Hey, uh, thank you uh, so much for praying for me this week. Those of you that did, thanks for responding on the Facebook page. That was so kind of you. I preached last Sunday morning and last Sunday evening. I started to get uh, the feeling of just being sick. And so our doctor called our doctor and she sent me to get chest x-rays again, found out that there was pneumonia in my lungs. So heavy doses of antibiotics, but uh, hey, you can't keep a good man down, right? And so here I am, ta-da, but thank you very much for praying. I feel so much better than earlier in the week, and uh, I kind of warned Todd, hey, be ready, be ready, be ready, but hey, now nah, I, I can do it, so I'm very thankful, but thank you uh, so much for praying for me and for my health, and, and that kind of leads to a, uh, uh, a different prayer request, if you would, please, and that is... Uh, Peggy and I are scheduled to leave this Friday to drive to Iowa to visit our other son uh, and his family. They live in uh, the Des Moines, Iowa area in Ankeny. And then also next week, I'm scheduled to speak in a camp in northern Iowa as well. And uh, so I would certainly appreciate your prayer for uh, for health and strength, but also for wisdom to make a right decision about that. I called the camp director who was uh, one of my former students, and I kind of warned him, and they could certainly cover for me if I can't do it, but hey, God knows. And I just appreciate your prayer for that, and uh, hey, if God wants to close that door, then I'm very willing to have him do that. And uh, But anyway, please, please pray for us about that. We have not seen Travis and his family in a while. And that would be great to be able to see, uh, to see them and to see our other grandkids as well. And uh, we'll probably kidnap the kids. And br- no, we won't. But anyway, bring them back. Um, before I begin, uh, could I share one other prayer request? And I, Todd, I haven't even had a chance to talk to you about this one as well. Uh, last night, a good uh, friend, yesterday afternoon, a good friend of mine uh, who is the pastor at a church called Hillside Haven Community Church in Clark Summit, um, was killed in a motorcycle accident. His name, is, his name was Don Rowe, and uh, Don was on a bike with his daughter, and they were in an accident, and, uh, and Don was killed in the accident yesterday. Um, Don was a kid in my youth group, my first youth group in Michigan. And I knew him and watched God work in his life. I was in their wedding, his first wedding. His wife, his other, his first wife, Lisa, died of a brain aneurysm a few years ago. And uh, so anyway, pray for that family and for that church. I'm sure that they are really, really hurting today, Hillside Haven Community Church. Um, yeah, for those of you that remember this, um, Levi, the young man that went with Luke to Germany, Uh, That's where Levi goes to church. And so I know that uh, they would appreciate prayer. And um, um, would it be okay if I just take a moment and pray for that church and for that family? Father, we're so thankful that when uh, distress of life happens, we can cry out to you. 
And Father, I, I pray uh, this morning that the God of all comfort, that the God that can comfort um, above what we can even think or imagine, the God that can bring that peace to a troubled heart, God, that that is you. And Father, I pray for that family, and I pray for Don's mom back in Michigan, and his other family, his wife and the kids, and that church. And God, help them to see your hand of comfort and strength, and to see your purpose somehow, sometime in this. And Father, I just thank you that we as a church family, as part of the, <coughs> part of the body of Christ, can pray for them and that church and that family. And, and God, I just pray that you would, uh, again, you bring comfort in that family as well. Father, thank you that we can gather this morning. We ask your blessing upon our service. And Father, I just pray that what we do this morning would bring honor and glory to you uh, through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Yeah, if you take the blue sheets, that's our notes. I apologize that we got it turned upside down in the printer this morning. I'm the one who forgot the other set of notes at my house, so I'll take the, I'll take the bullet for that one. It wasn't Pastor Todd at all. It was me. And those were correct, and they were a different color. But hey, it's still we, we punched them with a three-hole punch, and they're available for the notebook. And I'm sorry that they are upside down in the middle. And I'll, there's one place where there's an asterisk. I can't say that word. And it goes to the back, and you'll notice how that is when we go, we'll go through that. But we want to continue our, survey, our, our, our series on what does it mean to follow Christ. And this morning, I want to talk with you about influences that might keep us from following Jesus. I think it was uh, December in 2017, the movie The Greatest Showman came out. Anybody remember that movie, right? I mean, that's, it kind of turned into a thing, right? Into a, into a very popular musical. It's a story, right, of uh, P.T. Barnum, Phineas something Barnum, who was the founder of the Barnum and Bailey, which turned into the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. And it, it tells the story of P.T. Barnum. And uh, you know, probably you've seen the musical, you've seen the movie, you know a little about that. Maybe some of you have gone in the days where they used to have that. I've gone a couple different times to the circus, the big tent, and all of that. And it really was amazing. But uh, P.T. Barnum was the guy that figured out how to draw a crowd. There's uh, one of the biographies about P.T. Barnum. There it is. Uh, no. P.T. Barnum once said, supposedly, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. I'm not sure you buy that, but that's P.T. Barnum. And he did a lot of different things. You saw the, the musical. You saw that. Uh, you understand a lot about his life and what he tried to do. <laughs> and a lot of what he tried to do was to draw a crowd. And uh, our, our people folks are trying to get the video going for those of you that are home or whatever. But uh, that was, that was P.T. Barnum. And he figured out that a crowd attracts, attracts a crowd, a spectacle attracts a crowd, a performance perhaps attracts a crowd. And if you saw the movie, then you know all about that, about what, what he did. 
that seems to be <coughs> a, um, a big deal in American culture, right? That we somehow are impressed by crowds, right? That somehow we are. Um, if you're a fan of America's Got Talent or those kinds of shows, one of the judges we were watching, Peggy tapes them and fast forward the DVR thing to get rid of the, frankly, the garbage. But one of the judges says, I'm not sure that anybody would buy a ticket to your performance. And so even that, we have this crowd mentality. <laughs> Excuse all the tech this morning. We're, we're going to be okay. Is this going to come? <coughs> And uh, we, we understand that idea about a crowd. The Bible says, Ecclesiastes, I talked with you a few, moment, a few months ago from a series that we were doing on the Old Testament from Ecclesiastes. And uh, Ecclesiastes talks about that, about there's nothing new under the sun. And I think that's true because in Jesus' day, that was true too. That there were people who showed up I think, just because there was a crowd there. Sometime, if you would take your Bible and just flip through the Gospels, and as you do that, notice the time a crowd showed up for Jesus. And there were several of them. In fact, uh, as, as you in my version of the Bible, that we, we got it. Hey, uh, look for the phrase, a great multitude. There were often times that a crowd showed up for Jesus. Let me just highlight a few of those for you. And I'm just going to take one gospel, the gospel of Luke, and highlight what were some of the things that a crowd showed up for. In Luke chapter 4, <coughs> a great multitude showed up because Jesus healed the sick. And people, all kinds of people from all over the region that were sick or that had family members that were sick would show up because maybe, maybe Jesus would heal them or heal their loved ones. In Luke chapter 8, they actually showed up for his creative and interesting teaching. It says there in Luke 8 that he taught as one that had authority, not like the other teachers of the day. And we understand that, right? I mean, we understand that there are times when the guy is such a good speaker that a crowd shows up because of that. And Jesus had that. In Luke chapter 9, <coughs> that's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. People showed up for food. Go figure. Right? People showed up. And there were times after that that people, I think, showed up for Christ because they were hoping to get a meal out of the deal. They showed up for that. In Luke chapter 9, there's the story of how they showed up because they were waiting for Jesus to do a miracle or maybe put on a show. And that's something like that draws a crowd as well. And then in Luke chapter 20, there's, this, there's the account of how a crowd came because Jesus was going to confront and maybe debate and beat other religious and political leaders of the day. And, and that kind of makes sense, too, that people would show up for that kind of uh, performance as well. And I'm going to stop there at the list. Here's the problem with all of my illustrations as we got started. Here's the problem with all of that. Very few 
of the crowd stayed to really be followers of Jesus, right? I mean, there's one thing that it's, it's easy, human nature, I guess, for us to be impressed by a crowd, but I don't think Jesus was. I think Jesus used those opportunities to preach the gospel, to present himself to people. But often during those accounts, sometime read all the way through, especially the gospel of Luke. We're going to talk more about the author in just a minute today. But Luke, as he wrote about Jesus' life and his, his gospels, the most detailed, the most precise, the most people-oriented, as Luke wrote about that, he often told accounts about how Jesus would confront people who followed him in the crowd and say, you want to be a follower of me? Then do this. And often in those kinds of situations, the people left because they really weren't willing to make the commitment of what it took to be a true follower of Jesus. They left. So I want to talk with you about that. What are some of those obstacles? And I'm going to go back to the same passage that we looked at last Sunday. Um, I didn't get finished with that passage, so let's go back there, and we'll wrap that up in a few minutes we have left today. Matthew chapter 4, it's typed out in your bulletin. If you have that, if not, you can turn there in your Bible. <coughs> Matthew chapter 4, and I want to read for you verses 18. We're going to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus. And what we talked about last week <coughs> is here's what it means to follow Jesus. To learn from him and to stay close to him. I mentioned last week, and I've mentioned a couple times here in the past, the very first thing that Jesus ever said to the Apostle Peter was, follow me, learn from me. The last thing that we know of that Jesus privately said to Peter was, follow me. And there it means, stay close to me. And Jesus used that word a whole lot more often. People, stay close to Jesus. We want to be followers of Jesus. Stay close to him. And it is going to require a commitment. We're going to learn about that today. TGD talked with us a little bit about that already this morning. And are we willing to do that? So in Matthew 4, I'm going to read verses 18 through 22. Matthew 4, those are the parallel passages. You have those in your notes. Matthew chapter 4, I have it on the PowerPoint, but let me read for you. (coughs) Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 18 down through verse 22. 18 through 22. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, career fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, emphatic, a command, authority. And he said this, I will make you fishers of men. And then this, verse 20, They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed there's some, we talked about this a little bit last week. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we talked about some things, why they would be willing to walk away and to leave everything. And we're going to pick up on that. Only we're going to talk a little bit about 
some of the things that they were willing to do and to, the, by application, are we willing to do those same things? And actually what I'm going to do is talk with you, and there's a little chart I'm going to ask you to build that's there in the notes where you have some lines to fill in or whatever. You'll, you'll find it pretty easily as we go through this. That what are some hindrances or some obstacles that would keep us from following Jesus? Before we get there, I want you to notice this phrase. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They had just, uh, TGD read the passage in Luke for us this morning. They had failed at fishing. The Lord told them to cast their nets out into the sea and they did that. And uh, they caught this huge drought of fish so much that their nets were breaking, their boats were beginning to sink. And then Jesus says to them, okay, see what I did? From now on, you're going to catch men. And they were willing to walk away from their career, from their possessions, from their family. They were willing to walk away from those things. In fact, I don't know if you can see the color difference that's there in your notes, but it says immediately they left. That's a word there that implies... Um, uh, implies a commitment that they were willing to walk away. The passage in Luke puts it a little bit more uh, clearly, especially in our English language. Here's the phrase in Luke. TGD read that for us this morning. It says that they forsook all and followed him. That means a word that means turn your back on. Again, make a choice or make a commitment. And I think that's what Jesus is asking from us today. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, and it does require a commitment, it's one thing to have a crowd. But when Jesus says make a commitment, many of them walked away. And we're going to see about what are those things that we need to do in our lives that might come in. I don't know if you've seen this, and I know it's not going to be big enough for you to see the print of this cartoon. But the cartoon shows a chicken and a pig. I'll read to you the caption. The chicken says to the pig, hey pig. We should open a restaurant. The pig responds, I'm not sure. What would we call it? Okay. The chicken says, ham and eggs. And the pig has these uh, huge question marks over his head. And then the pig says, no thanks. I'd be committed. And you'd only be involved. The chicken can lay eggs and give an offering. The pig, to have the ham or the bacon or whatever, would have to give a total commitment. Often when Jesus says to us, make a commitment, we're afraid of what that means. And uh, we're a lot more like the pig than we think. I love the phrase, back to the passage. It says they immediately left their boat. They immediately left their nets. They immediately left their father. And followed him. Those three things. And that's how I'm going to build the outline. And we'll just do this quickly this morning. But basically I want to just share with you. That there are probably three influences today. That keep us from following Christ too. I think three things. And folks if these things get out of whack. All three things. And I just want to give a, a, a caveat. Or an explanation in the beginning so that you don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that these things are bad. I'm just saying that they could be the things that get in the way from us being a devoted follower of Jesus. That often these things, like 
the difference between a crowd and true followers of Jesus, that these things can often be the thing that keep us from being a committed follower of Jesus. So let me just share with you what they are. They left their nets. That signifies that their career, they gave up the tool that they needed to do the job with their father. They also gave up their boat. They were business owners, their family. Peter and Andrew and James and John were both in line to inherit the company, if you will, from their father. That was their possessions. That was a big deal. They were business owners. They were probably fairly well-to-do in that culture, even though they had to work hard to catch fish. And there was, sometimes there was failure at that. And then they also left their family or they left relationships. Folks, I know you know this. And again, don't misread what I said today. None of these things are bad, but often those could be the things that can keep us from being true followers, devoted followers of Jesus. So I want to talk with you a little bit as we go through. And, and number one, let me just do this quickly. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to show you some biblical illustrations to illustrate my point today. So now here you are in point number one, where you fill in the blank, it says career, and then there's Matthew 9, and there's a few other references. Now, if you would, flip your blue page over and go to the back. And I'm just going to give you some illustrations from the Bible about people and their careers, if you will. Here's the first three. First of all, Matthew. Remember the apostle Matthew, the author, the human author of the gospel of Matthew? You know this. Matthew was originally a tax collector. Right? That Matthew, that was his job. He had a booth, and he would sit by the road, and he would t t t uh, collect people's taxes. In that culture, the tax collectors were often some of the most corrupt, evil people in the culture. And Matthew was like that. And it says there, Jesus pressed on from here. He went on there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said, follow me. So he arose and followed him. That's amazing to me that Matthew was willing to walk away from his career. Now, let me just let me highlight that one for a minute. I'm not going to do this to all of them. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. <laughs> just a few chapters over from where we were in chapter 4. Matthew 9. Here's the story, verse 9, Matthew 9, starting at verse 9. Jesus pressed on from there, and you could read the earlier passage about that. And he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. Now, verse 10 says this. Now, it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard that. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, verse 12, Those who are well have no need of a physician, that, but the, those who are sick. And let me just stop there. One of the things that I love about the story of Matthew is that when Matthew came to Christ and became a follower Hey, look, why is this beeping? Move it up higher? That'll move. Is that, is that better, maybe? 
We'll, we'll see. Sorry about that. Um, that, that, that. That one of the things that Matthew did, boy, there's a lot of tech things today, right? It's the devil. Is, is um, I love this about Matthew's story. Is that Matthew, when he came to Christ, when he made the commitment to be a Christ follower, he invited his tax collector buddies to lunch and had Jesus show up for lunch. I love that about this story. I, I think that's incredible. And I thought about that a lot. I think one of the things that God does maybe for all of us is use our past to give us an opportunity to share Christ or connect people with Jesus that no one else would have that opportunity than, than you. I've had a few of those in my lifetime where I've had a chance to connect with people that were part of my past and people that I hadn't shared Christ with or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I think is a good one about that. Uh, when I first started in ministry, uh, I served in a church in Michigan where I met Don, the young man that passed away yesterday, and, and actually Janine's home church where Todd and Janine uh, served for several years before they moved out here to Pennsylvania. And in our church was a guy who was a surgeon at the University of Michigan Hospital. In fact, he taught surgery at the University of Michigan Hospital. He also was such a good surgeon that he was also at the same time, I'm not sure how you could do this, but he was also worked and was assistant chief of surgery at a different hospital in Detroit and had these two incredibly important jobs and I'm sure made a lot of money back then. And God started to work in Dr. Bob Cropsey's life. And Dr. Cropsey felt that God was calling him to the mission field. And that was years and years and years ago. And uh, Bob and Shirley Cropsey have been veteran missionaries in Togo, West Africa, for years and years. Ultimately, Bob Cropsey became the head of medical missions for ABWE, and this guy is a big deal and a very good friend of mine and Janine's family. I had a chance to preach at their installation service just before they left for Togo. But one of the things that impressed me about Bob Cropsey was before he left, he invited all of his surgeon buddies to lunch. He kind of did the Matthew thing that was here. He paid for lunch at a really nice hotel in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and had all of his buddies come to tell them, I just want all of you to know why I am leaving the hospital to go to Togo, West Africa, to become a medical doctor. And had Dr. Wendell Kempton, the president of ABWE at the time, come and share the gospel. Hey, he was buying them lunch. He could pretty much do whatever he wanted, right? And I love that story about Dr. Cropsey, and I love that story of Matthew. So here's the thing. As we're talking about careers and all of that, don't forget that you probably are in a position that nobody else is in, and God gives us opportunities for contacts. Let me keep going through my list. 
The second one, I, I, I know you like this story too. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know about Zacchaeus, right? Should I break in the song? Should I? Zacchaeus, nobody wants me to, was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? And you know the story. I'm going to quit the poem, the music part of it. And Jesus came by, looked up in the tree, and went to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Did he leave being a, cha- a, a tax collector? Or did he go back? We don't know. But we know that Jesus changed his life, and he was an illustration. Lydia is another illustration in Scripture. I love the story of Lydia. One of the reasons I love the story of Lydia as we transfer in in our story through the book of Acts is Lydia was the first convert in the Bible in Europe. And that's pretty cool because my daughter now is a missionary in Europe. And Lydia was a seller of purple. She was a business owner. (coughs) And there's no indication that she left her job and went on to ministry, but she actually used her resources as a business owner for the cause of Christ. And she would come and be involved in this Bible study and this prayer meeting that was with other women, and she was actually there with Jesus and became a follower of Jesus, and she had Paul and other missionaries come to her house and stay with her, the gift of hospitality. I mean, that's an amazing, and she was a business owner. Let me give you another illustration. I love the story in the Bible of Priscilla and Aquila. If you've ever studied this couple, you could Google it or find out in a Bible study help book or whatever and go through the story. Let me tell you a little bit about that. And I'm not going to take the time and read all the way through that, but I love their story. Priscilla and Aquila, which is interesting because often in the Bible, her name is mentioned first. And I'm not sure the total significance of that, but both of them were very influential people. If you were to do a Bible study in the, in, the, in the New Testament of Priscilla and Aquila, they are mentioned as living in four different New Testament cities. And they moved often because of persecution. They are also mentioned as having the church meet in their house. They were the people that the Apostle Paul was traveling and Paul stayed with them because they were tent makers. Well, that's a big deal. They were business owners too. And God used their their influence with other people in a mighty way. And there's no indication that they left their business. In fact, the church met in their house. They were people that were highly committed to the local church, and yet they were business owners. And that was a big part of it, is the, of their ministry. And then also later on, when the great scholar, the great orator in Acts, Apollos, came to Christ, they helped disciple him, and they were very active in teaching him the scriptures. That's a great testimony of this couple in the New Testament. And uh, we could keep going and talk about a lot of different illustrations. My point is this. I am not saying boy, everybody needs to leave their career and walk away and become full-time servants of God. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is Christ is asking all of us, no matter what we do to earn a living, Christ is asking us to commit and to become devoted followers of Jesus. In that vein, let me give you one other illustration 
and we're going to move on. I told you we'd get to him. Dr. Luke in the scriptures. Sometime read the Gospel of Luke and right away read the book of Acts. Luke is the author, human author, of both of them. If you are a student of the Bible at all, you'll notice that Paul especially would write a letter and would say, I, Paul, you know, like I'm going to write you a letter and I'm going to say, hi, I'm Mel. Luke never tells us about him. I think that tells us maybe a little bit about his humility or whatever. In fact, Luke is only mentioned by name other than he traveled with Paul and during Acts, the book of Acts, there's several personal plural pronouns where Luke was along on the trip. So he uses the pronoun we about being on the trip with, with, with Paul. But here's, here's the thing that's interesting. Every time Luke is mentioned by name in the New Testament, he's also mentioned alongside of a guy by the name of Demas. Let's do a quick, really, really quick character study of these two guys, okay? Luke was a beloved physician. He was a doctor. And yet, the, the indication in the New Testament is that Luke actually walked away from that to be involved with Paul's ministry and to travel. I'll talk to you about that more in a minute. And then it says here to the believers in Colossae that Luke, the beloved physician, they knew who he was. And Demas was there with Luke. Let me show you the next one. In Philemon, verse 24, there's only one chapter in Philemon. Demas and Luke were called by Paul his fellow laborers. A word, a phrase that means they're along with me. They're serving with me. Both of those guys are, are part of it. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, <coughs> it says this. At the end of Paul's life, when Paul is in dungeon prison, probably a sewer pit in Rome, he writes this. Demas has forsaken me. And I want you to get this next phrase. Maybe I should have highlighted it. Having loved this present world and has departed. A word that means quit, bailed, left, because he loved the world. And then it says, only Luke is with me at the bitter end. Dr. Luke was there. Pretty good guy to have around, I think. There's an interesting contrast that is painted between those two guys. <laughs> In the beginning, Dr. Luke, a career-oriented individual, was willing to give Christ everything. Demas had that beginning. He was a fellow laborer of Paul. But the world became more of an attraction. I guess here's the message of number one, and that is don't Don't let that happen, where the world becomes the attraction, where we use our career for ourselves instead of using it for Christ and for eternity. And it's so easy to get caught up in that, that this is what I want to do. All of my years working with young people at two different Christian colleges to ask kids, that, what do you want to do? I think there's a whole lot better question, and that is, what does God want you to do with your life? I think that's the better question. 
The second thing in our outline, let me just do this quickly, is often possessions are the thing <coughs> that keep us from following Christ. The brothers, the two sets of brothers, were willing to leave their boats, which meant their livelihood, their stuff. They were business owners with their fathers to walk away. There's a great story in Matthew. I'm going to just do this quickly. In Matthew chapter 19, the story of the rich young ruler I have there in the beginning, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect or mature or complete, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. But then the young man heard, but when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I think it's true, and I think you would maybe in your heart agree with me that it's true that often stuff can get in the way of us being truly followers of Christ. I think the idea of stuff or possessions is one of those things that happen. And that happened in the New Testament. And there are other passages where people weren't willing to follow Jesus because of their possessions. One more and we'll wrap this up. I think the third thing that often keeps people from being a true follower of Christ, and this one saddens me in my heart, is often family or relationships with other people is the thing that keeps us from being true followers of Jesus. Right away, it says they forsook all to follow Jesus. And I think today, like, there's an author, some of you may have a familiarity with the name, Kevin DeYoung has said that one of the great struggles with believers are, of our day is the idol of the family. You know me. You know my family's pretty important to me, right? But if we put our family or our relationships with other people ahead of our relationship with Jesus Christ, then we're doing that same thing. In the Bible, there's a great story in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, in fact, I've preached this passage to you before. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you. And I, I mentioned last week, Study the phrases where people said, follow, I will follow you, or Christ said, follow me. That's what we're talking about. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the nest, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And the indication in the language is that dad wasn't even dead. Let me wait until that happens, and then I'll go. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Sounds pretty cruel, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And the indication is the guy went away. And then another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first. Let me first go and bid them farewell or at my house. But Jesus said, no one having has put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Friends, I just tell you that in my ministry over the years that there's been lots of times where people aren't willing to do exactly, kids aren't willing to leave their home, parents aren't willing to leave their kids because they're, they, they want that instead of the commitment to Christ. And the indication in this passage is that God wants us to have 
priorities in both areas of our life, not put our family over a relationship with him. There's one other which is incredibly hard to take. But I wanted to share it with you this morning. In Luke chapter 14, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, now that's the Jewish term, and that is, it doesn't mean hate like I hate you. That's not the, that's not the language. That means a level of relationship. And father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. In other words, Christ is saying what I'm saying to you, I hope. And that is don't let family or relationships with other people be the things that take us away from God. And often we do that. One of the hardest things. that I've ever had to do in my entire life, I've told you this story before, is stand at the airport 16 years ago when my little girl, Christy, got on the airplane and had moved all of her stuff to Berlin, Germany. I've told you this part of the story. Christy is the first girl in my side of the family, I think in five generations, There's no Walker girls. When the doctor said to me in Michigan when Christy was born, it's a girl. I've told Christy all of her life that that one phrase has changed my life forever, being the daddy of a a daughter. And Christy grew up, and when she was a little girl and she was a teenager, she said, you know, Dad, I want to be a missionary. God's called me in a mission field. And I'm like, good, good. Praise the Lord. Let's go to youth rallies. And I talked to you about that last week. And it was great until she got her passport and got her ticket and hired the container to put all of her stuff in and some of our stuff too to move to Germany. And my little girl gets on an airplane and goes to Berlin, Germany as a missionary someplace where I had never been. And I get it. I do. I understand that one of the hardest things for a parent is to let their kid follow Christ. I get that. And it's often true the other way around, that we tend to build up our kids, we tend to build up our family. And all I'm saying is not that that's not good. It's great. And I'm, I'm a guy that my family is really, really, really important to me. But... If we let those things stand in the way of being a true, devoted, committed follower of Christ, then that's the obstacle that we need to overcome to be able to do that. Remember the story, and I'm done. Remember the story that we shared with you, you know, in Genesis chapter 22, where God said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. God had already promised Abraham that in his family, in his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. All of Abraham's goals, all of Abraham's dreams, all of his plans for his life were wrapped up in Isaac. And yet when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, it's absolutely amazing to me that Abraham said, okay, let's go. I'll I'll be willing to do that. Now please understand, and again, we preached through that with you before. Did Abraham have to kill his son? No. God was testing him to see if Abraham was willing to do that. This whole message today is not that God's going to take those things away from us. 
God doesn't want those things to be obstacles. If they're part of our life and they're part of the things that God gave us, then that's part of what God is doing in our life. Don't let those things to be obstacles to the will of God and to being a true follower of Christ. There are some influences, and those are just some in this one passage that keep us from being a devoted follower of Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, Paul wrote, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's what God wants from us. Being willing to put ourselves with our career, with our possessions, with our family, ourselves on the altar and say, God, I will be a follower of you. I'll walk away from all those things. I'll be a follower of you. And God isn't necessarily going to take those things away. Following God is the greatest thing that we could ever do and what matters for eternity. And so to wrap up our study, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think it means these two things. Learn from him and stay close to him. And don't don't let obstacles get in the way. Amen? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. In some ways, humanly, maybe this was a tough message for us to hear, but it's in your word. And God, I just pray that we would be committed, devoted followers of Christ. Help us to understand, God, that our career, our job, what we do, can be a tool to use for you. And help us to learn from people like Lydia and Priscilla and Aquila, that even through that, your work, the church, was critically important. And you gave them a career to be able to have opportunities with that. God, help us not to let possessions, stuff get in the way. And God, help us not to let our family be the thing that keeps us from being followers of Christ. Help us to build God-honoring priorities into our family. That we would see that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're willing to do that with our family and our relationships too. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for what you've taught us. This, when Pastor Todd started talking about why following Jesus and to learn about God and to learn about what, who you are and what you are doing in the world today. And God, I just pray that you continue to work in, in our lives through your word as we consider these, these, these stories, these lessons on being a follower of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for our church. I thank you that we can gather and share those things together. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would use your word in our hearts and our lives for your glory for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you for letting me share this morning. I hope it's a blessing to you. And, uh, hey, Lord bless you today and throughout the week.